Welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in each episode, I will sit down with a former Aussie expat to discuss how they survived repatriation and reverse culture shock, how they navigated the logistics of careers, friends, and family to successfully find their new place at home, and all without losing their global spirit. If you have just returned home, are thinking about it, or just love a good yarn told by professional globetrotters, then I have no doubt you'll enjoy meeting this diverse group of Australians. Like many expats, when Jan went to Hong Kong with her husband and eventually landed a head of e-commerce role for a major American company, she thought, this experience is going to make me. Having already carved out a successful marketing and e-commerce career in Australia before she arrived, Jan's experience in Hong Kong and China took her career and her expertise to another level. Only when she was ready to come home, it was a level that the Australian market couldn't understand or value. When she came home in 2018, many retailers were doing e-commerce, but it was still their sideshow, not their main show. Jan felt the industry had gone backwards and she was facing the reality of being in a job back home that required her to rewind her experience. She wasn't prepared to do that, so she changed careers entirely. Jan spent two years studying and is now an interior designer with her own business, travelling at her own pace, fast. I'm keen to find out the role the Repat experience played in Jan taking the plunge to change her career direction and also the challenges of starting a new interior design business when you live in Melbourne and the world's longest lockdown. So welcome, Jan. Thank you. Hi. Where are we chatting with you today? I'm here in my human space office at my home in North Melbourne. Now, before we dive into your story of life in Hong Kong and China, can you take us back to what life looked like before that time? And do you think you were always destined for a bit of life overseas? Well, I'm a child of immigrant parents, uh, one from the Czech Republic and the other English parents. uh, My mum was born in India. So growing up, I was always aware of different countries and cultures. Through my family, I was surrounded by people who were born in faraway places. So I think the idea of adventure and travel was implanted quite Mm. early on. Mm. Um, I remember vividly the excitement of collecting someone from the airport. And so I sort of knew that I'd travel as soon as I was old enough. Yeah. Um, One of the positives of having immigrant parents was that, you know, I took my first overseas trip when I was 14 to Europe to see my father's family. And I guess it's not so, it's probably not unusual these days, but international travel wasn't the norm back then. And it was such a thrill taking that first big trip. So I was sort of hooked. And by the time I was 30, I packed up and moved to Darwin just so I could be closer to Asia. Oh, right. Um, You know, working overseas was always a dream and I was pretty single-minded about making it happen. Eventually, I managed to find a job in Singapore and then I moved to Malaysia and lived and worked there for a couple of years. And so when was that? When did you, like when were you in Malaysia? Because you obviously returned before the Hong Kong experience. Oh, it was a long time ago. I'm really showing my age now, but I was, um, it was prior to me being 30. Right. So yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> nice answer there. <laughs> prior to being 30. <laughs> Love it. 
Um, so I understand that the opportunity in Hong Kong came up then sometime later um, via your husband's work. And in that time of you being back from Malaysia, you built a successful career here in Australia. So how easy was it to make the decision to relocate without a role for yourself? Well, you know, I because I had done it before, I was really keen and yeah. um, I'd met amazing people. I'd had fantastic work experiences and I traveled everywhere all over the region. And so I just wanted my husband to experience that too. And we talked about doing it. We'd always said if the chance presented itself, we would. And so it really wasn't a very long conversation. And we knew it was an opportunity that wouldn't come around again in a hurry, given the gap between my experience and this next opportunity we just, we really jumped at it. In fact, you might laugh when I tell you that we actually said yes to going to Hong Kong without ever having been there. Yeah. I remember it was December when Wayne signed his contract and we flew straight over for five days to find an apartment. We came home for Christmas and New Year, said our goodbyes, mm-hmm. and we were permanently living in Hong Kong by mid-January. Yeah, fantastic. It's amazing how quickly it happens once the ball's in motion, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So you relocate. um, Wayne's got a job. You don't. Do you think you'd always plan to work in Hong Kong? Like, were you thinking, okay, I'll just get myself there and then I'll work it out and I'll find something, find a role when I'm there? Or had you thought, okay, this might be a bit of a break? No, look, I was fairly confident that I'd find some kind of work. Mm -hmm. Um, Even then, and that was in 2014, there was a seed of an idea to import homewares, start an online business maybe. You know, fatefully, we were invited to the Australian Chamber of Commerce um, for Christmas drinks when we were there looking for an apartment. And, you know, I have to say one of the most amazing things about life as an expat are the other expats. My husband's new colleagues um, look made it a point of introducing me to loads of people that night, both work and social contacts. And it's such a welcoming and inclusive environment, which I'd known from my previous experience. So, you know, if there's something happening, everyone's invited. If you're new, people really wrap their arms around you. And, you know, it's interesting, but my experience has been that it's actually easier to break into international so- social circles than it is to move to a new city in Australia. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I look, I still had to apply myself to the task. I wasn't sort of handed the job of my dreams on arrival. And to be honest, we had a really rocky start because we were still in our service department, so just new, when Wayne was seconded to a project in the Philippines. And so for the first six months, I only saw him for about 40 hours a week, unless I flew to Manila for the weekend. Yeah. So there was nothing like that loneliness to motivate my focus on finding work and ridding myself of that trailing spouse, Monica. Yeah. So I tackled the task like a project. I sort of made a job out of finding a job. I started on LinkedIn. I called every second and third contact that had said they were living in Hong Kong. And I reckon I found about 10 people to start with. And so again, that expat sort of mentality, they were brilliant. They all met with me. They let me interrogate them over coffee. They said they'd put the word out there and I made a point of staying in touch. And so keeping my ear to the ground and not being shy about just explaining my situation to total strangers. Those first contacts led me to a range of consulting work in Hong Kong and Macau Mm -hmm. and eventually to Edgewell where I was working in and out of Shanghai. And so career-wise, I was really very lucky. Yeah. And it is amazing that community, isn't it? When you step into um, a group of like-minded people who have shared experiences, um, who are all the way from home, they're equally invested in you being successful. 
and being happy and making it work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as we said in your intro, um, your experience in Hong Kong and China was what we said was next level. Can you share a little bit about what that meant or looked like for you? I mean, comparatively to where you were when you when you flew out from Australia? Yes. Well, China, where mm. do we start? <laughs> I have a love affair with China. I'm just, I love that country and, and the people. And so from a work perspective, the first word comes to mind is big. It is big. And, you know, in e-commerce terms, China makes up about 42% of the global market. And so those numbers will literally blow your mind. Um, The two most popular marketplaces, JD and Tmall, last year wrote about $115 billion US just on one day of the single stay sale. You know, Jack Ma said in the US e-commerce is dessert, but in China it's the main course. Because, like, I think Chinese consumers didn't ever have PCs. They sort of went straight onto phones and they're, they're glued to their phones. If we think we are, you need to see what it's like in China. And mm. they use WeChat for everything. They'll sit on the train paying their bills, playing games, ordering food, transferring money, oh, booking flights and accommodation, sharing photos and shopping. You know, it's something like a billion monthly users. It's sort of crazy. And so to work there, it's fast and it's innovative. You know, the teams are huge. We're talking 50-odd people just in content and analytics, and there's probably the same in marketing. And I love the marketing team especially because they're like a bunch of dedicated old-school marketers, but purely digital. So they're constantly thinking about how to cut through, how to get attention, They have to be super creative. They're running hundreds of promotions every day. And I mean promotions. Digital marketing in Australia means ads. Yeah. I'm talking promotions. So quirky, gamified. Campaigns. Crazy promotions with live streams using KOLs and, sorry, I have to explain that's jargon. It's key opinion leaders, which is what we call influencers. Right. But, you know, (laughs) these promotions, they have to be conceived and executed within hours and then fulfilled within minutes. So. There are some Chinese consumers who will crucify a brand if they have to wait more than 30 minutes for delivery. So the pressure is immense, but the success is incredibly rewarding. And Chinese teams love to celebrate. They celebrate all the time. Mm. And it's actually a really incredible environment to work in. Well, I found anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's it sounds like, you know, you just you step off um, the plane and into this world that is just so as you said big and immense but with that comes like just an absolute um saturation of the senses in terms of learning Mm. like it's just on Mm. a level that we we haven't experienced or been exposed to before we move on to you bringing trying to bring that experience home i'm interested you know how did you enjoy life in hong kong i mean it's a major expat city what what did it look like for you and wayne well it's funny when you look back i think what I got personally was sort of breaking out of that consistent lifestyle and it was like running with bulls, you know, and (laughs) the group trips away. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We met so many new people. We had made solid lifelong friendships. Um, You know, we never lived in a high rise and it's such a vibrant, crazy cities. We walked and hiked. The public transport infrastructure is second to none, you know, not to mention the rooftop bars. (laughs) But seriously, we travelled all over the region and exposed ourselves to incredible experiences. 
I remember the first time I, I went to Guangzhou for work, I had to go by myself and take a train to the border, cross into China, take another train, find the company minibus filled with new colleagues and travel three hours to a factory literally in the middle of nowhere. And I spent days with total strangers who didn't speak a lot of English. It was hilarious. Yeah. It was really hilarious. And I had no clue what I was eating. I didn't know what they were saying for the most part, but it was exciting. Yeah. And now that I'm back in Australia, I'm so grateful for those experiences and for those wonderful people. Yeah. And you can't help but feel that you're on an adventure when, you, when you're doing that and living it. Every day. Yeah, it's incredible. So mm. after several years, um, you return to Australia. You're really cognizant of the fact that you've been exposed to this incredible market and size and scale and complexity. But you also, and you also know what it's like to repatriate, having done it um, a few, many years ago. What do you think your learnings were from the experience and how did you prepare for it? Last time I was away from Melbourne, I was away for over 10 years and I was a lot younger. So my friends had all gotten married and had families and that was tough. But this time, it was only three years and I figured, oh, it'll be much easier to slot back in. Unfortunately, you know, it was the realisation that nothing had changed. That was the issue for me, especially with my career. So I felt you know, I felt so guilty about being away. And when we got back, you know, there was no fanfare, there was no big welcome, and people were just busy with their lives. Um, we found that we really missed that community that we'd been a part of. And I, I think it was like a total anticlimax, if I'm honest. Yeah. I think it's challenging when, you, you know, when you said earlier you stepped off the plane and, um, you know, people were really keen to introduce you and wrap their arms around you. When you step back here, I mean, the reality is, as you look the same, sound the same, you're not noticeably an expat. So you, there's actually nobody that sweeps you up apart from maybe your family. And that, that can be challenging. That can be really challenging. Yeah, it is. It is a challenge. So what role do you, did your experience in Hong Kong play, I guess, in influencing your decision to embark upon a career change? You know, it was a hard decision because I'd spent so many years building up this sort of skill base and exposing myself to the future I thought Australia had. And I had the idea I'd come back and, you know, this this new career would really catapult me. But once we decided to come back, I sort of made a few phone calls and the conversations that I was having totally changed my mind. Yes. Yeah. Just say that. <laughs> and so it was really, I think, my work experience that changed my career rather than my expat experience. I just could not see myself having those same conversations about the importance of, you know, cross-channel customer experience. I was, yes. <laughs> I, was beyond, I was sort of a bit beyond that. And, you know, it's hard because in e-commerce in Australia is still considered a necessary evil and it's the great shopping centre traffic killer. And hasn't the pandemic exposed a weakness? Absolutely. Um, you know, and I tend to think that, unfortunately, we are just not that innovative when it comes to retail generally. And worse, we can't even bring ourselves to copy what's successful out in the world because we think we're so unique. I was going to say, why do you think that? Like that always floors me too. Look, you know, traditionally in apparel retail, the seasons play a part in that, but it's not relevant now. I really don't believe it's relevant. I think the reality is that we're not that unique and there are so many new ways of delivering goods and services that would make our lives so much better. I 
love to see a real disruptor into the market. It would be great. Well, I think we're hungry for it because, I mean, you know, certainly, I mean, you and I are both in Melbourne. I mean, just trying to get goods during the last two years has been extraordinary <laughs> and has exposed such an incredible um, weakness in, in the market here. I think there's room now for some real innovation. So let's wait and see. So you've said that you found it harder to come home than it was to leave and there was that sense of things not changing. Can you explain a little bit more about why you think that's the case? Yeah, look, for us coming home was hard. We found it much harder than arriving in Hong Kong, even with the difficulties we had when we first got there. While we're away, I think we definitely changed our views of the world, our tolerances, our habits. And I think there were some people who were a little intimidated by the changes that they saw in us. And there are some who just would never, could never understand why we went in the first place. And look, for us, we were really lucky because some of our friends from Hong Kong came back to Melbourne around the same time as us. And I honestly don't know what we'd have done if we didn't have them to lean on, you know, to reminisce with and just to count on. I mean, we're still the SYP crew three years on and I pray that that never changes. Having people in your life who've shared such a unique experience just makes the world of difference, especially when you're struggling. Well, I think it's that ability to have the conversation and, you know, not feel judged by anything that you say because there's that shared, shared understanding. Um, Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you arrive back, you decide to change careers, you return to uni. Um, How was that? And I mean, I guess, do you think the focus of starting a new career potentially helped with the transition, maybe? Something new to focus on? Definitely, definitely. I threw myself into study, which in of itself was really hard. I I spent the first few months just finding out how little I knew about interior design. Yeah. And it was all consuming. So, but interestingly, I learned quickly not to mention my expat experience unless someone specifically asked. You know, it's just not that interesting to people who haven't lived it. And sometimes people think you're big noting rather than sharing your experience. But at school, I loved being in a creative environment and it absolutely took the sting out of our experience being dismissed in that way. I'll add that, um, you know, when I caught up with old colleagues, it was when I definitely knew that I'd made the right choice to change careers. We talked a lot about e-commerce and digital advances, but my views just didn't resonate with them. And so I actually think it was like I'd been living on a totally different planet. I think too, having that new focus and again, keeping that sort of sense of learning and creation of something new can help with the transition. Yeah, it did for me. You're right. It was a focus that I could throw myself into. I didn't have to justify myself. I was just there, new, learning along with everybody else. It was great. It was a, I never, it was a decision I'll never regret. And so what advice would you give to an expat coming home who finds themselves, I guess, in a similar situation in their industry? I think I'd start by saying, no matter how long you are away, don't lose your network in Australia. That's critical. And ideally, you want to try to come back with a job or to a job. I think that's probably the safest landing. You know, if you can find a job through your network that embraces that unique experience, you know you've got an organisation with great leaders and I would definitely try to do that before you come back. I mean, depending on what your job is, I think you need to be aware that 
global experience in large and multiple markets, bigger budgets, multinational teams, it means nothing to most Australian businesses. Once you're back here and in the recruitment mix, overseas experience isn't always highly regarded and it can actually work against you. Sometimes it's even seen as time out of the industry and it's like you've been on holiday. You have to be really smart about the way you market yourself. And for me, look, it was just the perfect time to reskill and to follow a passion. And so I'm interested, like interior design, has that that's always been a passion? I mean, you mentioned earlier that homewares was something when you were in Hong Kong, you thought, oh, look, there could be a possibility. But had that always been something that you had followed or been interested in? Absolutely. I was a serial renovator. I was the kid who mum would come home and I had reorganised the lounge room furniture. Right. That's sort of, I've always, I've always had that, yeah, an organiser and a spatial planner. I studied art design between high school and uni, so that was sort of in the mix. Yeah, and I just love pretty things and I love shopping, so. It sounds like a, ma- um, a match made in heaven, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you retrain, you launch your business full-time in uh, January 2020, which is literally two months before the world effectively shuts down. How has this shaped your business? Timing is everything, isn't it? I couldn't believe it was happening. So we launched to Hue and Space in 2017 and I worked while I studied, but 2020 was going to be that year of growth yeah. and obviously that didn't happen. But it, look, it sounds crazy, but I actually think the pandemic has been a boon for interior designers. You know, after spending so long looking at the same four walls, people are more than ready to redesign and redecorate their homes, especially when it comes to finding a space for a functional and well-designed home office or two. You know, that's where we're at. And I also think that, you know, generally the pandemic sort of allowed us or given us permission to outsource. We're able to ask for help um, and to create that sort of dream home. That's why we sort of, we've positioned you in space as sort of helping hand to average homeowners rather than that old school, full-blown expensive over-the-top design agency like you see on TV. We sort of fill in the gaps for people. So, you know, because we all know what our strengths and weaknesses are and some people need help choosing colours, other placing furniture and lighting. So, you know, I'd be lying if I, if I said I don't love clients who say you do everything. Yeah. <laughs> but we're sort of comfortable supporting a homeowner who wants to have a go. And so during the pandemic, even though I thought I was going back to corporate with my tail between my legs, I was actually pretty busy. Once I got my head around working via Zoom and FaceTime and trusting clients to take their own measurements, it's been great. Yeah, because I was going to ask, how do you actually consult? I mean, or how have you consulted over the last two years? Has that been Zoom, I suppose? Yeah, we use Zoom, we use FaceTime, people walk around a space with their phones, they take photographs. You know, it's, I would never have believed it was possible, but it is possible. And so I'm actually helping my parents-in-law in Bermagui at the moment. Well, I was going to say, it's it's an added advantage then really, isn't it? Because it becomes borderless. You know, it doesn't mean that you're only running around Melbourne, you know, face-to-face with clients. Look, absolutely. And I also know now that I don't need an office space and it's fine to work from home. Mm. And look, we were talking about supply chain and that's still a problem. But, um, you know, we're careful where we get our pieces from and we try really hard to source locally. And I just hope that the pandemic teaches Australia a bit of a lesson and that we begin to value what's made sustainably onshore by our own craftspeople 
Uh, That's actually one of the things that I think we're really, really hopeful of. So, and showcasing those talents as well. So, yes. Yeah. So, um, how has your design practice been influenced by your international experience? Because you would have been exposed to such different elements throughout your travels and especially in China. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I'd like to think that I've been exposed to a lot of diversity in design now. And personally, I'm I'm much more open to the way cultures and religions impact design aesthetics. And I find it fascinating and a great challenge to take those very design styles and bring them together. And, I, you know, the other thing you're showing, Aussie, is that design is more than a white box. Yes. <laughs> no, introducing colour can be a challenge, but we're definitely up for it. Yeah, great, great. What do you love most about your new career? You know, this is probably a little embarrassing, but I'll share it. I, I was actually driving to Bunnings a little while ago in between lockdowns and I was there getting, I was driving along try, uh, going to get paint samples for a client and it sort of really suddenly hit me that this is your job. Yeah. And I got a little teary because I love what I do so much. Yeah. You know, I love spatial planning because to me it's all about putting those puzzle pieces together. I love pretty things. I love shopping. You know, I'm a solid project manager. My only regret is that I sort of wish I'd made the change a bit sooner. It's, um, I do think that it's interesting when, you know, expats come back, they're at a real juncture often. And so it can actually be a catalyst or an opportunity to go, you know what? I think I'm, if I'm going to make the change or make a big change, I'm going to follow what I really love. And so it can be an incredible door opener. You know, as they say, when one door closes, another opens. I think it's about knowing that that's what you love, <laughs> knowing what you it love. It is. Yeah. It is an opportunity. Absolutely. People should take that. Now, Jan, we finish all of our podcasts with five quick questions, so I'd love to um, put those to you now. Okay. So living overseas taught me what about myself or opened my eyes to what? To trust in my resilience and adaptability. We were totally pushed to our limits and we came through it. And through those eyes now, I sometimes think, no, you really have to put things in perspective and remember might seem like a drama today, but compared to other things in your life, it's not that bad. Yeah, great. Oh, perspective is amazing, I think. It just changes the boundaries, yeah. Um, The number one skill I use today in my business is what? Communication. The best thing I have discovered since arriving home is? Probably due to the pandemic more than anything, but it's important to have a place that you feel like you belong. And when we talk about immigration, I think we should all try to imagine what it would feel like if we do, if we didn't have that. Yeah, yeah, lovely. The first thing I'd encourage a new repat to do is reach out to people who've had a shared experience. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely that sense of safety. A word, song, or quote that best describes my time overseas is well, <laughs> this one's been my favourite for a long time, but I think it'll always be relevant and it makes me smile. It comes from my favourite, all-time favourite TV dad, Mike Brady. Ah. Quote, <laughs> as a wise man once said, wherever you go, there you are. Oh, nice. It's very deep for Mr <laughs> Brady. That's <laughs> oh, a classic. Oh, Jen, I've loved our chat. Thanks so much for your time. You're most welcome. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review 
share it with your friends and family, and subscribe for future episodes. For more information on our guests, please head to our website, insyncnetworkgroup.com, where you can check out the show notes and also find more information about our fabulous community and membership offerings.